Well, open up your Bible, would you, to the book of Philippians. And um, we want to take a moment and see our, our counsel from the Lord from the book of Philippians. You know, I don't know... Uh, it's funny, when you're away from church for a week, for some people that's a regular thing, I understand, but for me that doesn't happen very often. And um, earning that time away, I miss you. And I think about many of you and, and what is going on in your lives. And I just want to start, before we get into our message, I want to, actually I've got a, sc- I've got a verse up here on the screen, I don't know if you're going to see it or not, but let me just read to you from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus here says, Come to me, all who, are, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus' words to, to us today. And as I was getting ready for our service today, I just really was impacted by that truth that if we're weary, we're carrying burdens, listen, God uses that in our lives. And, and I don't know what your week has been. I don't know what your month or year has been. I don't know what's been going on in your life. But I suspect if, if you're like me, then very likely in the last weeks or so, you've had some times that were challenging and you might feel a little bit heavy laden. You might feel like you're carrying the load all on your own. I want you to know that is not God's plan. Now, I can't promise you that if you submit your life to Christ, He's going to take away all your problems. The day I do promise that, you need to chase me out of here because that's just not the truth. That's not the truth. God is clear that in this world, we will have struggle. We will have persecution. We will have tribulation in this world. That's just a reality. But what this verse from Matthew chapter 11 and what our passage we're going to look at from Philippians, what it, what it reminds us of is this. We don't have to shoulder this alone. As a matter of fact, you don't have to shoulder it at all. What God calls us to do, what Jesus calls us to do, is to lean on Him. To lean on Him. And to not lean on ourselves or our understanding. But to lean in His direction. Because He takes those things, and He doesn't take them away, no. But He brings us peace. He brings us peace today. And that's something that no skeptic can take away. Nobody can argue you out of your peace. You know that? You know it if you're in Christ today. You know what that is. Well, I asked you to go to Philippians chapter 3. And let me tell you where we're headed right now. Um, We want to be maybe a little more practical than, um, than we always are. At least from my perspective, we always apply God's Word. But, but maybe today we'll see a little more practical way of how you can live out this call in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 10. Now where we're at, we're, we're studying the book of Philippians. That's how we do it. We're walking through the book of Philippians. And we are now at the end of chapter 3, going into the last chapter of the book, chapter 4. This was a letter written by a man named Paul. He's in prison when he wrote it. He's in prison for proclaiming Christ. He taught Christ. It found him in prison. Just simply for preaching Christ. But while he's in prison, separated from the the church that he loves, his, his mind goes to them. His mind goes to these believers in this little town called Philippi. You see, he was there when when it was started, and he knew these these believers that he's writing to. He had a relationship with them. But now they're separated by distance and by time. And he writes this letter to them. It's just four short chapters. It's an actual letter that Paul wrote. And here's how it would work, just so you know. 
the, the letter is carried to this town in Philippi. And the church is all gathered together now. And somebody brings this letter out front and they open it up and they read it in front of the whole congregation. They read it out loud. And what we know from, from sort of the historical documents of the day is that that letter then would be transported around to other churches. So we'd read it here on a Sunday morning. And then maybe we know about another church that's meeting down the road a couple miles. And somebody would leave here and, and after making a copy of that, they would take it down the road to that other church and, and then they would read it. And they'd make a copy of it and they would go to another church and they would, they would read it as well. And the reality was it was God's Word directed and and superintended by the Spirit of God, written by the Apostle of God, Paul, for us, handed down to us now over thousands of years to help us as the children of God know what it means to follow Christ and to lean on Him. So, as the Apostle Paul thought about these believers... This was the one thing that he had to say to them. It's pretty important. This is what he wanted them to hear. Let's jump in now. In in the middle of this, we're going to be in chapter 3 and verse number 10. I'll read. You can follow along. It says, Paul writes, That I may know Jesus Christ, Him. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me just say, what he's saying here is, Paul is is communicating that the life ambition of a believer, that your life ambition as a follower of Christ is to know God, to know Jesus Christ, to have intimate relationship with Him. This isn't to know about. This isn't to know about God, to tell me the facts about God, or to to quote verses about God, or to tell me classes that you took about God sometime in the past. None of that on its own means anything. There are many people who know all about God, but they don't know God. They don't know God. That's our life ambition, though, to know Him. As we've shared recently, this is the word that is used when, it's descri- when, when the relationship between a husband and wife are described. And that relationship would, would include the physical relation, the intimate relationship, and the personal relationship as well. Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth. We are, our desire is to know God that way. A lot of people know about God. But are you growing in your knowledge of Him. Not about Him, but of Him. Another thing a lot of people know, by the way, let me say this. A lot of people know all about godliness. But they don't know God. There's a difference. Now think about this. Especially those of us that have been around church a long time. Been around Christianity. Long time. We know all about godliness. We know rules. We know prohibitions, we know the commandments, we know, we know these little ideas that we're supposed to do. But we aren't told to know godliness. We aren't told to know about God. Paul's saying here, I want to know Jesus Christ. Now where we're headed today is 
how does that work out? I mean, how do I, how do I improve my knowledge of God? I mean, that's the question. How do I improve my knowledge of relationship with Him? That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Let's keep reading now. Verse 12. Paul writes, not that I've already obtained this, so I'm not there. Paul says, I'm, I'm not finished. Or am I already perfect? No. But I press on to make it my own. To make what my own? Knowing Christ. He presses on to make knowing Christ his own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind, the good, the bad, whatever it is behind you, I forget that. That's not driving me now. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, where I want to talk today is the rest of this paragraph. Really, two paragraphs. Paul writes, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now let me just stop here with the reading for a minute and just talk about a little bit how we learn. I mean, how do you learn? I ask you what you learned from the snow. How do you learn? Some of us are auditory learners. When we hear something, we we can retain it and we we can learn just by listening. I mean, preaching in its, very, you know, in its very nature is relied upon auditory learning. You hear learning, and you know something? This should never work. This shouldn't work. Every educational specialist in the world would say, there's no way you can sit people down for you know, 30 to 45 minutes and talk to them, and they'll retain anything. But you grow. I grow. Why? Because God's Spirit works through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. An auditory learner. Maybe you're a visual learner. You see something and, and you need to see it like, you know, right there in front of you. You see it and you like to draw pictures. and That's me, okay? I like to draw pictures and diagrams and all. That's how I learn. And there's all kinds of different learning styles. But what we see in this passage, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me, is I think that God recognizes that the best way for us to learn is by an example. The very best way for us to learn is to follow an example. I remember as a child, my, my father was a very active, very a working man. I mean, my father was always working, okay? And when you're the son of a father that's always working, guess what you're always doing? You're always working. That's just the way it was. And in my house, we had a huge garden, okay? I don't know how in the world my dad did that on top of everything else, but he did. And we were canning and all that kind of stuff. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, no idea. That's okay. It's a West Virginia thing, I guess. I don't know. But I remember my dad being down in the garden, and he had the rototiller. Now, here's what this is. It's like a, it's kind of like a lawnmower. You can think of it that way. It's a big machine, okay, kind of like a lawnmower. And rather than a blade going around this way, blades kind of go around this way, okay? And what you do with a rototiller is you, you take it through the ground, through the hard ground, and you, you till the soil is what you're doing. You kind of break up the ground. You break up the dirt so that it can receive 
the seed. And I can remember, like, this is one of my earliest memories. My dad is down in the backyard across the creek, that's what we called it, okay, running the rototiller, and it's like I can see him there in front of me, okay? He's got his shirt off. His back is all sweaty and kind of got that haze of dirt that gets on your back when you're sweaty and working in the dirt. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have already grossed out, but it's just the reality. It's a, that's my picture, okay? I can see my dad's strong back in front of me. And he's running the rototiller, okay? And it bounces you all around when you run one of these things. And as he's going, you know, it's probably like he's probably going several times, or probably on his third or, or fourth run, and, and the soil now is, is real loose, And the thing that strikes my memory just so blatant is, you know, he's stepping, okay, in this soil as he goes. And I can remember, it's just a little kid now. I'm so small that I'm jumping from one footprint to the other. You know, kind of like, eh. You know, trying to land in the dirt where my dad's foot was. It's so stark in my memory. And that's what I think of when I read Paul. And he says, Brothers, we want to know Christ. We want to know Him. And I know what's in your mind. I know what's in your mind. It's like Paul is saying, How do I do this? How do I know Christ? How do I grow in my knowledge of Him? Do I just read a book or do I just watch a video or, or do I just memorize a verse? Do I go to a whole lot of church? What do I do? Do I take a class? Do I go to Bible college or seminary? What do I do? Paul says right here, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes, now listen, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. My first point for you today is this. We want to know Christ, yes, but I want you to understand that that choices matter. Don't you dare be misdirected. Your choices matter. You are making choices All the time. Every day, you're making choices. Don't be misdirected. And what Paul is calling us to is a choice now. And the choice is to know Christ. And in that choice, we have to be very selective on those that we are bringing into our lives for imitation. We must be very selective. You make choices every day. Every single day. And those choices are driving who we are. And listen, God knows that. Just in the, I gave you a whole bunch of verses, I believe, on your worship notes. Just from Matthew. Just from Matthew. These are choices that Jesus calls us to. Over and over and over and over, Jesus calls us to choices. And I just got the ones in Matthew, just for sake of time. Listen to the choices that Jesus calls us to just in the Gospel of Matthew. You can serve money or serve God. There's a choice. Matthew chapter 6. That's reality. You're either known by Christ. Now listen to this one. You're either known by Christ or not. There's no no, straddling the fence on these things. 
We must make a choice. Serve God, serve money. Known by Christ, not known by Christ. That's Matthew chapter 7. Build on sand or build on rock. See, we can't. Jesus is clear. You can't do both. You can't do both. We've got to make a choice. Save your life or lose it. Matthew chapter 10. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it, he says. We're either for Christ or against Him. Choice. We're either a good tree or a bad tree. A choice. The world around us, here's the message of our whole culture of the world. Here it is, and I'm telling you, here, please, here. I'm telling you with tears in my, in my eyes and in my heart, you will not kick this can down the road and know Christ. You cannot have it all. You can't. And you won't. You won't. Paul says, we're called to know Christ. We're called to know Him. And that requires a choice. And I understand the rub of it. I understand. I see the commercials on TV. I know. I see the cool car that some cool guy gets into and rides down the road and you're like, man, I wish that was me. Maybe I can have that Two. No. Not if that's your God. No. Paul says, we're going to make a choice. Make a choice. Don't be misdirected. Don't be misdirected. That's what we're talking today. We're talking a lot about direction. And direction involves a choice. And what I'm calling us to do, what Paul is calling, what God is calling us to is the choice to know Christ. The choice. Now notice, by the way, I didn't say choices. Think about this. Direction involves a choice, not choices. So I'm not saying, you know, choose to do this or choose to do that. Why don't you choose this or choose that or choose this? No. I'm saying choose the one thing, to know Christ. Choose the one thing, to know Christ. Your direction involves a choice. I will make my ambition to know Christ. And here's the sneaky reality about all this. What we're, gonna, what we're, what we're seeing, the truth of this is when you came to Christ, now listen, here it comes. If you're in Jesus today, If you're in Jesus, your choice has been made. Your choice has been made. You are doubly designed. If you're in Jesus, you are doubly designed. You want to see the two designs? Listen. Doubly designed. You were born to know God. You were born for that. Secondly, You were reborn, if you're in Christ, you were reborn to know Him. You are doubly designed to know Christ. So any other choice, any other choice is going to bring you struggle, 
heartbreak, a lack of peace, a lack of joy. If all that describes you today, if there's an unsettled feeling in your gut, like, man, this ain't it. This isn't it. I'm not living it. I'm not living knowing Christ. It's just not there. I've I've climbed ladders. I've chased goals. I've run down roads. And it just isn't doing it, man. It's just not doing it. Don't make the mistake of killing that voice. That voice very well may be the voice of God saying, that's right. Make the choice to know Christ. Now, how do you live it out? Well, I already kind of revealed a little bit of my hand here. It's in verse number 17. And, and it's important for us to understand what Paul is saying. Brothers, verse 17, listen with me. Brothers, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, this is very significant to me for a lot of reasons. One, it kind of sounds a little bit like pride in a way. Doesn't it? Paul says, hey, just follow me. Just follow me and, and you'll be fine, right? This kind of sounds what he's, what he's almost saying. But, but we know that isn't true of Paul. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. I'm the chief of sinners. Paul understood that he was a sinner. But also you see in this passage, look what else it says. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, here's the thing. Here's, here's, my, here's a big point for today. Direction, see, in case you missed it, the direction is to know Christ. That's what God's direction for us is. But direction is contagious. Direction is contagious. It truly is. Somebody said it this way. There's a lot of ways people say the same truth. This is how God's Word says it, but there's other, other principles that you know about. I mean, God also said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Somebody said, if you, if you take the, the five people, the four people that you spend the most time with, you are the average of those five. You and the four people, you and the four people that you spend the most time with, you are the average of those five. Mm, wow, that's interesting to think about. I can't show you a Bible verse that says that, but that's man's wisdom. There's some truth to it. Here's the truth. Direction is contagious. And Paul says, there are people in your lives, God has placed people in your lives that you are to call into your life, call to your mind to imitate their faith. You want to know how to know Christ. You want to know how to know Him. I'll tell you how to know. How to know how to know Him. Find somebody who does and do what they do. It's pretty simple. Find somebody who does know Christ. And you do what they do. You get that, and that's all I have to say to you today. Now, I know, I know, what, I know what people go, well, nobody's perfect. I understand that. I understand that. But you find people who know Christ, and, 
and listen and watch and observe the things that they do. And you work those things into your life. That's what God is saying to us. Verse 18. For many, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you hear Paul's heart here? He's saying, hey, follow me. Paul's saying, follow me and, and follow the men and the women that are, that are with me that are following Christ and be warned. Be warned. And Paul now has, as he writes this, he's, he's shedding tears as he thinks about people who were part of him, who were part of the church and didn't understand maybe that direction is contagious and now they've veered off. They've veered off. And Paul calls them, you see what he calls them? Enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul's warning us. He's saying, direction is contagious. Be very wise. Be heartbroken for people. Shed tears for them. So these are not enemies of ours. These people who have drifted away from Christ, they're not our enemy. They're not our enemy. We, we weep for them. But they are an enemy of the cross of Christ. See, there's a warning here. And the warning is the contagious nature of direction. And he goes on to describe these people, because you might wonder, well, who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? I mean, who are they? Yeah, let, me, let me just throw some ideas out here that you might think about. Enemies of the cross of Christ. I mean, maybe that's a false teacher. Maybe it's somebody who preaches a false gospel. Would you call that an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, sure, I would. I would. Okay, we'll count that. All right. Maybe it's somebody who persecutes Christians. So this isn't just preaching a false gospel. I mean, they hate Christians, and they cut their heads off. Maybe they're an enemy of the cross of Christ. I'd buy that. I would, I would agree with that. But I want you to see how Paul identifies the enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't mention ISIS here. He doesn't mention Joseph Smith and his you know, vision from an angel. False gospel. He doesn't mention that. Look how Paul describes the enemies of the cross of Christ that we must understand their direction is contagious. Look what he says. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But... So we've got a contrast now, okay? So Paul's saying, so if you want to know what that doesn't look like, I'll tell you what it looks like. Now here's what it doesn't look like. But our citizenship is in heaven. So what's this tell us? The enemy of the cross of Christ that Paul is warning us about are people who are living for this world. 
for this world. It's not the head cutter offers. Uh Uh-uh. I mean, it is, but that's not what he's talking about here. It's not the false gospel preachers. It it is, but that's that's not who Paul's talking about here. He's talking about people who flat out have invested their life here. And he says, these people are an enemy of the cross of Christ. Why are they so dangerous? Why? Because direction is contagious. Think about it. You know, if, if we had a, if we brought ISIS here and lined them up in Walmart parking lots and they did their horrible things that they're doing out there in Walmart parking lot, they're going to gather many followers? You're going to sign up for their meeting next week and be a member of their club? No. But now let's do this. Let's wrap up somebody in a, yeah, you're going to heaven because you put your trust in Jesus when you were two. You're going to go to heaven because you're fine. But you'll go ahead and live for this world. You'll go ahead and add all the little things and all the things that the world offers. You'll go ahead and take all those two. And don't worry, you're going to heaven. Don't worry, you're going to heaven. You want to be part of that? They line up in droves, you guys. They line up in droves. Filling the belly. Filling the belly. Glorying in their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. And Paul says, folks, that is the enemy of the cross of Christ. You see, we say we want to know Christ. We say we want to know Him. And the passage shows us that to know Him, we find people who do know Him and we live the way that they live. But what if they don't have the stuff you want? What if they don't have the body you desire? What if they don't have the job that just seems to be the one that everybody needs? What if they don't have all that? But they know Christ. What's your choice then? Because remember, destination involves a choice. Do you want to know Christ or do you want all that the earth has to offer? Let's talk about these things just for a few minutes, okay? Verse 19. They're in this destruction. Why? Because moth and rust destroy Listen, your body is going to get old. You're going to have flab. Sorry, it's true. Okay? Your hair is going to turn gray, just like my beard. All right? I'm keeping it now just because I'm like, there's gray in there. That's kind of cool. It's going to happen. Men, you're going to lose your hair. So are you ladies. It happens. Sorry. It's going to happen. Your body is going to, I'd say fade away, but actually it seems to fade in addition. I don't know. It's just how it works, right? The things that we want, they're going to rust. They're going to be destroyed. You're going to buy that brand new iPhone 6, and in September, they're going to be an iPhone 7, and it's going to be worthless, right? That's just how it works. The end is destruction, except for one thing, God, His people. But see, the enemies of the cross invest in everything that doesn't last. It only lasts for a mere 72 years, and it's gone. 
The God is their belly. What does that mean? That means that they are driven by their senses, by what they can feel, what they can taste, what they can smell, what they can see. They're driven by their senses. They're driven by their their lust for food, their lust for sex, their lust for power. Everything their flesh wants, they're driven by it. And so the expression is their God is their belly. It makes sense, doesn't it? And they glory in their shame. So when they do wrong, they're proud of it. They're proud of when they do wrong. The most obvious example of this in our culture today is Facebook. I'm shocked sometimes at the things that people glory in. I'm like, really? You could choose one picture and that's the one you choose? None of us are without sin. If we claim to be without sin, the truth is not in us. We're a liar. But these enemies of the cross have no shame. They they sin with pride. Look what I did, hey! Look what I conquered. Look Look at this awesome joke I can tell. Let me highlight this thing in my life. That is a shameful activity. The shame over sin. Let me say it this way. The lack of shame over sin is contagious. It's contagious. When I surround people around me that are okay with it, guess what happens over time? You don't believe it? How many of you have noticed now all the pages that are moving? Hear them? Oh, there's one. Do you hear the seats creaking? How about the cough? Isn't it funny? We stop hearing that. We stop hearing it. That's how God made us. You know, if I sat here and did this for a while, you'd be annoyed for 15 minutes, and then guess what would happen? You wouldn't even hear it. Same thing with shame. The same thing. We glory, the enemies of the cross of Christ glory in shame. Glory means to boast in, take pride in, to magnify. It goes on. Their minds, you see, are set on earthly things. You know, here's what what we're looking for. We need to follow followers, not the crowd, okay? Not the crowd, Because it's all contagious, all right? We need to live as Christians, as little Christ, not as worldlings. That's what this is talking about, with minds set on earthly things. These are worldlings. They live for this world. They live for this world. Verse number 20. Our citizenship, so where we're from, is in heaven. Now, how'd that come to be? Well, that happened double in your life. I've already mentioned that once. Happened double in your life. You were born for a relationship with God that was marred by sin, okay? Marred by sin, so you're still born with it, but you can't have it. And then some of us put our trust in Christ, praise God, born again, double born. And now we are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. 
And from it, what do we do? We await a Savior. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I can't wait for Him to come back. Why? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is His name, and He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. See, when Jesus comes back, and He's going to, He's going to. This is how it's going to happen. I believe the Bible teaches that there's going to be a thing called the rapture. That's a word that we use to to represent this idea that Christ is going to come back in the air. And all of those that are His, He's going to take with Him and take them to heaven. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. We'll be changed. And at that point, no one will have to teach us. You won't have to have anything taught to you. I won't have to learn anything anymore. I won't have to, I'll know God. Now I know dimly, as in like a hazy mirror, but then I will know face to face. And when I know Him in that way, when He comes and takes me to be with Him, you know what's changed? My body. A glorious body. And so all, that under, all those things we understand from verse number 19, because here's the truth about verse number 19. Look at it. Here's the truth. Every single one of us This guy included, my flesh understands in a real, personal way every one of those phrases. I have first-hand knowledge of every single phrase in verse 19. Don't you dare think that that isn't true, because it is. My flesh wants to run after things that just end. But when I'm changed, that's not true anymore. My flesh... It desires for my belly to be my God. And I want more pumpkin pie. More pumpkin pie, right? That's my flesh. And I want you to like me. And I want you to think a lot of me. And I want you to admire me. And I want to be the fastest and the prettiest and the best artist and the best fencer and all all these things. I want to be the best. Because my God is my belly. But when transformed, all of that is gone. And Jesus is the king. And it could, I mean, every one of these things, glory in their shame, I understand that. I understand this, this pool to sin. I understand it too. Because my mind is drawn to earthly things. But I'm not a worldling anymore. No, I'm a Christian. So I long for verse number 20. Verse 21, he will transform our body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will subject all things to himself, even me. Even me. I look forward to that. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, he says, my brothers, whom I love and I long for. He says, you're my joy and my crown. Man, that, he, he's just, he feels so strongly about these believers. And he says this, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. So what do we take from all this? We stand is what we do. We stand. We need to search for people. We need to know Christ. Let's go there. 
all the way back to the beginning. All the way back. No Christ requires a choice. I need to find people in my life. I've got to open my life up to people, to relationship with people, so that I am close enough to see the good and close enough to see the bad. See, it's important for you to know, what does a believer do when they do wrong? Because they do. What do they do? You come close enough to me or any believer in this room, and you, you follow them around for a while, and you're going to see they mess up. So what do they do? What do they do? You need to, you need to be close enough to know how this person lives out their relationship with Christ. And then you see that and you emulate it. You imitate it. And this requires a choice. I choose not to emulate the world because their destination is contagious. Instead, I emulate the Christ I see in others. And then I stand. I gave you, I think, four or five references. This is, this is a theme that goes through your Bible over and over and over. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Listen to that. Oh, I've got to read all this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. You like that, Glenn. Act like men. Be strong. You know Christ? Stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Stand firm in your faith. Galatians chapter 5, stand firm. Ephesians 6.11, stand against the schemes of the devil. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, stand firm. Over and over and over, stand. Stand. This is God's call for us because there's nothing greater than knowing Christ. And it's the only thing, it's the only thing for you that are double born, it's the only thing that will fulfill It's the only thing that will last. It's the only thing that you were remade for is knowing Him. So, I told you it was practical. Now, I don't have ten steps for you. I got one. Find a knower of Christ and imitate Him or her. You're going to have to search, I'm telling you. You're going to have to search. You're going to have to seek. You're going to have to to make yourself feel awkward. You're going to have to go to a group, have to go to a focus group, have to go to somebody and say, hey, uh, want to have a cup of coffee? And you're going to ask them out for coffee, okay? And it's really awkward, but you do it. And then the two of you sit there and you talk about your relationship with Christ. You walk up to somebody that's putting away tables here. Say, hey, can I ask you a question? My teenager's driving me crazy. How do you deal with that? And they tell you, well, you know, it's impossible. And, you know, but you just continue. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, you guys. But they, they encourage you to suffer well. Honestly, that's no joke. Suffer well. Or you walk up to somebody and say, hey, my parents are driving me nuts. How do you deal with it, man? And they tell you to suffer well. See, it's relational. That's Practical. That's more practical than ten easy steps. Because you forget nine of them and the other one doesn't really work then, so you just drive on past it. This is one. Find him or her and imitate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for people. 
as marred as we are by still the consequences and curse of sin, Lord, you are remaking people into your image. Lord, I pray for the image bearers here. Lord, those that are longing to know you. Lord, would you just bring about conversations? Will you bring about these things that these conversations can occur where where real life-on-life discipleship, that's what it is. Just life on life. This is how I follow Jesus. This is how I've grown to know Him. It can happen. And Lord, I just want to stop and just thank You for the truth that it's only because of the cross of Christ that we can know You. They're enemies of Your cross. But You are the Savior that's conquered the cross. Thank You, Lord, for Your death, for Your resurrection, for Your life. We worship You in Jesus' name. Amen.